Hey guys, this week's podcast brought to you by Kent Cartridge and Fast Steel 2.0. I've been shooting Kent for over God, 15 years when I was in college. I had to wait tables and bartend just to be able to afford shotgun shells to go duck hunting. Nothing's changed in that time frame. Kent killed ducks then, and it kills ducks now. That's why I still shoot it. Fast Steel 2.0 is just the evolution of Kent's reliable, effective, and industry-leading steel shot technology. You can find it at your local dealer or uh, head over to kentcartridge.com to check out their entire lineup of shot shells. Well, I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman Riding Bonaparte at Waterloo I'm a dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody into episode 610 of SCI, Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here today. It is, uh, it is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. And speaking of uh, you guys, it was great to see so many of you out at the big show dsc show in dallas this past weekend an omicron super spreader i'm sure i know quite a few people that <laughs> already have uh told me yeah i'm not feeling so great but i think omicron went through our house last week anyway so uh enjoy the sniffles and uh the sore throat it ain't that bad uh but hopefully you'll have a uh, natural immunity if you do get it i know i feel pretty good about that as uh, the show that I'm looking most forward to, SCI's 50-year anniversary show, is taking place in Las Vegas next week. So, you know, ideally, we could all get healthy for that, right? <laughs> uh, it's a timing thing. And, and especially for all the outfitters that travel from overseas, if they're going to get it, which I imagine everyone is, because, like, I think I saw them the numbers yesterday, uh, like, one in... 50 Americans had Omicron in the month of December. That's a lot. And the el- the experts say that you're going to pass Omicron to seven to eight people if you do have it. So think about that exponential spread. Maybe this is the, the vaccine that we all needed, the natural immunity from an Omicron, like a nation, well, maybe a global super spreader. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but uh, hope that you are staying healthy. And certainly looking forward to seeing a bunch of you in Las Vegas next week. I will have a table on Press Row there. You can find my banner, and hopefully uh, we'll lock down some awesome interviews, some good conversations with folks while we're in Vegas. Uh, That's at Mandalay Bay, and uh, the 18th through, maybe it's the 19th through the 22nd. It's Wednesday through Saturday. The show is over on Saturday. So hopefully I will see you there. And uh, and thanks, by the way, to everyone who, who did say hi in Dallas this past week. A lot of old familiar faces, some new ones like uh, Philip and Jessica, folks that I met over at the John X Safaris booth who've been hunting with them previously. And Philip is uh, planning on bow hunting Cape Buffalo with John X in 2022, which for 
my money, I think might that's next level. You know, I've taken a, a Cape Buffalo that was at 75 yards with a rifle. Getting within 20 yards with a bow of something that can kill me, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out for Philip and uh, taking that on myself sometime in the not-too-distant future. So great to meet them uh, along with uh, all the other folks who stopped and said hi. And, uh, yeah, we'll do it again in Vegas in uh, in a week. Um What are we doing today, however? Well, we've got a great show lined up for you, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Justin Swift, passionate hunter who recently fell on hard times in the form of a traumatic injury he sustained while bow hunting on uh, public land right here in the Lone Star State. Yeah, a pretty gruesome experience that if they wouldn't have had the wherewithal to get a tourniquet involved, then he might not be here. And the doctors even told him that. Uh, but we'll get all the details. I mean, there was a successful hunt that led up to this accident. Uh, so we'll get... We'll get all of that stuff from Justin, figure out if he's made a full recovery. But this is one of those injuries, these hunting accidents, that it's far from the norm. You never know what can happen in the woods. This is not something that I've ever heard of of happening to anybody. Uh, So looking forward to having – it's so weird. I'm looking forward to having Justin share his misfortune. But uh, it is what it is. Hopefully some of us can learn from what went wrong there. Then uh, we'll be joined by Dr. Brad Davert of the Quail Tech Alliance uh, for an update on what's going on with Texas quail populations. We'll uh, we'll talk bobwhites and blues. And I understand Quail Tech has some uh, pretty intense research going on that's studying the age structure dynamics of quail mortality. And when you talk about a bird that isn't going to live past two years, It's a real short window that uh, they're diving into and trying to figure out, you know, how can they better help quail reach maturity? So uh, interesting stuff. And, and like, also putting a tracking chip on a bobwhite quail chick? Who would have thought we'd be doing that? But cool stuff nonetheless coming at you from the Quail Tech Alliance. And, uh, as always, uh, our quail interviews brought to us by Quail Coalition and Park City's Quail because they fund so much of that awesome research that's being conducted in Texas these days. So a shout out to those two organizations as well. Um, Let's do this. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about, since we're going to be talking upland hunting today, how about a box of Kent Cartridge upland loads? This is fast lead. I believe they are, yeah, they're number five shot. And so perfect for that late season quail, pheasant, chucker, whatever you're getting into, grouse, if, you're, uh, if your state still has an open grouse season, all that good stuff, this is the perfect load for you. Fast lead from Kent Cartridge. We'll send out a box. Um, just email the word Bob White, that's Bob White, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's Kent Cartridge giveaway. And I'll throw in a Kent Cartridge cap as well. So 
Uh, thanks to the folks over at Kent. And we'll be right back with a nasty hunting accident. Uh, Justin Swift joins us next on SCI's Lone Star Down Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here, and if you're listening to this show, you probably like ARs. And I'm not talking about antler restrictions, I'm talking about, you know, ARs, modern sporting rifles. And Timber Creek Outdoors has the best way I've found to take your AR to the next level. It's the Enforcer Kit. It features high-end performance parts and jaw-dropping looks. It's perfect for sportsmen, competitors, firearms, enthusiasts, and people who trust their lives to their equipment, like you and I. When combined together, these parts improve usability, as well as ergonomics, big word there, and dependability of any small framed modern sporting rifle. Timber Creek products are manufactured by Americans in the USA, God bless America, and they implement uncompromising quality control and offer a lifetime warranty. They've got a bunch of different color options, something for everybody. I've got a Hunter Green Enforcer Kit on my 224 Valkyrie. Absolutely love it. You will too. Check out the Enforcer Kit at TimberCreekOutdoorsInc.com. If you're looking to remodel your home, add a deck or arbor to the back patio, redo your fence, or build your dream home from the ground up, look no further than ECR Construction Group. My longtime bow hunting buddy, Josh Brown, is someone you can trust to deliver honest work on time. ECR Construction Group also serves the North Texas area, specializing in roofing, barn dominium builds, painting, and carpentry. So for your next project, call the folks I trust. That's ECR Construction Group at 214-400-1444 or ecrcg.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today. And I go to some hollow and set of my still if whiskey don't kill me. Lord, I don't know what will. There's an oldie but a goodie, Uncle Tupelo Moonshiner, bringing us back on. SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I gotta say uh, thanks to my youth pastor, John Brazier. Uh, John, if you're listening, man, thanks for introducing me to real music as a uh, teenager back in the late 90s. Uh, Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, Sunvolt, and from there, uh, diving headfirst into Texas country and uh, red dirt Americana. Love it all. And uh, John's a big reason why, so appreciate you, brother. Uh, This segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Fury HD 10 by 42 range-finding binocular. Absolutely love mine. Henry loves them, too. Lots of fun for a kiddo who wants to range every tree (laughs) from the deer blind. Anyway, you can find the Fury HD right there at vortexoptics.com. And uh, now, without further ado, 
Let's bring on our first guest today. It is my pleasure to welcome Justin Swift to the show. Hey, how's it going, man? Going great. Looking forward to getting to know you a little bit here today. So first of all, let's do that. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, you know, what your passions are as a sportsman and, and where you're from. So from Houston, um, kind of hunt all over Texas. Um, I didn't really get into hunting, well, deer hunting until later in life. I had been bird hunting pretty much since I was about 17 and I just turned 30 this in 2021. So uh, I picked up deer hunting probably about five or six years ago, uh, strictly bow hunting. But I mean, I just, I really enjoy being out there and kind of uh, just being places where not many other people have been. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's just fun. and Yeah. Yeah. I always think about that when I'm in a, a real remote place. Like when was the last time somebody actually stepped foot here? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a. I got a lot of hunting buddies that, that, you know, we kind of all do the same thing and people that don't really hunt, I guess, I mean, they get it, but it's, I don't know, it's just different. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it's a pretty cool feeling being somewhere where maybe someone hasn't ever been or the or, exact same footprint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was going to say, or if they have been there, who knows how long ago it was, but probably doing exactly what you're doing with just uh, some different technology. Yeah. Yeah little bit newer uh newer on the bow <laughs> yeah so so what is your favorite thing to hunt deer uh yeah i think so pigs are pretty fun uh, I, I really enjoy pig hunting it's uh trapping as well but yeah it's just it doesn't i guess because i've done it a little bit more uh it doesn't get my heart racing like it used to but it's still still an awesome awesome uh, feeling whenever you connect and cooking your own meat that uh that you do provided for yourself. That's the, I think the most rewarding component and you know, a nice rack looks good on the wall too. There's a story to be yeah. told. Uh, and those are just that. the, the trinkets, the, the, uh, the physical part of that experience that, that lives on, but you know, you're the only one that can tell that story, but the, uh, yeah. the, the meals help share that for sure. <laughs> Get to share it with everyone who can't hunt yep. or doesn't enjoy it. Oh yeah. I have neighbors who have no interest in hunting. I mean, they're kind of intrigued by what I do, but I, I take them, you know, if I fire up the smoker, I always take them something and yeah, generally they're, they're very appreciative and, and then that yeah. prompts them to ask more questions. And one of these days, especially my neighbor across the street, uh, he's 45, he's never hunted. And, um, but he enjoys all the wild game that I, that I bring him. And I think he's starting to get <laughs> Uh, maybe to that point where he's going to ask me, Hey, will you take me dove hunting or something? So, yeah, uh, which is a great entry level pastime dove hunting. I mean, sitting around with your buddies, uh, you don't have to be quiet. You don't really have to wear camo, just find a field with some dove and go get after it. Um, I think that was the first thing I ever hunted. It was either dove or maybe it was the first thing I successfully hunted. I think I went on a couple duck hunts and got skunked and, and then uh, started dove hunting and then got seriously into anything I could hunt with a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watching a dog work is, that's a totally different uh, ball game. And there's another thing that people, you know, it's hard for people to understand when they don't see it is it's beautiful watching a, a, a good dog do the work. It's, it's just so cool watching them. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm partial to, to bird hunting 
Um, but th- I mean, I enjoy going hog dogging. I enjoy uh, chasing lions and uh, in the mountains with with hounds and um, running up running a black bear up a tree. Is all that stuff is equally as exciting. And I think it's just the passion and the sheer joy that the dogs exhibit when they're doing what they love. I mean, that's what they're bred to do. So certainly something to, uh, to be said for, for a good hunting dog, no doubt. How long have you been keeping up with uh, the show? Just out of curiosity. Uh, at least a few years. I couldn't put a pinpoint on it, but I like going back in our, you know, the direct messages of stuff I've sent you turkeys and whatnot. I think it's, it's been a few years. Uh, but I, I enjoy listening to your stuff and the people you have on. It's, it's, I, I, I drive around all day for work. So listening to podcasts is always going on in the truck while I'm driving. Well, hopefully you listen to that latest Joe Rogan one, uh, or have plans to where the, the, he had the doctor on that invented the MRNA technology for these vaccines. Yeah. 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 Even the, the one before that, I forget uh the peter mccullough i think is what it was is uh that was yeah that's yeah. crazy to listen to to i mean take it with a grain of salt i guess but it's if that's what's really going on man there's a there's some wild times ahead of us well and i guess joe is maybe too big to cancel i say that they they canceled the president while he was still in the white <laughs> house so who knows but uh it seems like with his reach they're not they're not censoring him which is great but they're certainly censoring his guests i mean that uh dr malone the one i was talking about he's got he got kicked off of twitter without any infractions or any warning just uh wow. boom five hundred thousand followers bye well what did i do just wrong no talk about what they want to hear <laughs> yeah that's all they want to listen to yep um so i was probably like a month ago i had on some guys from infected outdoors uh, one of them had gotten gored like in an unprovoked wild boar attack. He was actually throwing a cast net, trying to catch bait, walk through um, a little swampy area. I think they were on the Colorado River. And this boar popped up out of the willows and just ran right at him, cut his leg. Pretty gruesome injury. Uh, they had to be care flighted out of there. Instagram and Facebook, of course, flagged that as me promoting violence, which all I did was post a picture of the guy's injury. So we'll see what yep. they do with your uh, with your photo. But that prompted you to send me your story, uh, what happened to you, which seemed equally as, uh, as scary. Talk a little bit about what happened, where you were, and if you were if you were solo, and what it took to to get back to to safety or to to medical help. Yeah. So, yeah, when I heard that, it was, it, it was kind of playing, replaying the memories in my head of what happened to me when I was listening to that, but, um, kind of similar, uh, hunting accident to say the least, but I think theirs was uh, a little less user error than myself, but Uh so we were hunting. I was with a group of, uh, four guys. That's who I normally hunt with. And, uh, when we do these draw hunts through the state of Texas, and uh, we were hunting out of Fairfield, uh, Fairfield um, on the Richland Creek unit. They have a north and a south unit, and we had got selected for the south unit. And beautiful country. It's right there along the Trinity River. That's basically the east boundary of the whole property is the Trinity River. So we, uh, we got selected. It's basically like a two-week 
a two weekend hunt. So you can start on a Friday and then your hunt ends the following Sunday. So we hunted the first weekend and, you know, everything was fine. Everyone had good spots. We were all super, super excited to get back out there that following week. And um, some of us, me and another guy took Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off, went up there Wednesday, hunted, and then Thursday. This is a, this is whenever, a deer hunt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deer, just whitetail and hog. Um, there's some other stuff out there, but we're pretty much interested in, in some whitetail. There's some very, very nice whitetail taken out of these units. So we were, yeah. we had, all, we all had opportunities to shoot those and, but you never want to booger up your area, right? Unless you have to. Yeah. But uh, I was, uh, we went out Wednesday, hunted, and then Thursday, me and my buddy were the only ones there, or the other two showed up Wednesday night. And so we hunted, we all hunted Thursday. And it was just like any other regular morning. I got to my spot well before sunlight. I had sticks. I use, uh, I, I hunt all different ways, but I've kind of got into the saddle hunting. It's, it's pretty fun. It's extremely comfortable for myself. And I mean, I've been doing it for a few years and I've had no hiccups, but I already had so my sticks. I, I do want to, I want to ask you about that. Um, because I, I've never used the saddle. I like, I've seen the, the fad take over the industry over the last couple <laughs> seasons. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking it. Like I said, I've never done it. Yeah. Mike, you said it's really comfortable. Could you, could you do an all day sit in a saddle or would that, would it be too, that's why I like about the tree stand is that you can stand up and stretch. You know, you've got the platform there. If you're going to do an all-day sit, you can move around. Um, I, the think, blood I think, yeah, I think once you get used to it, after your first few trips out there, you could do it. Uh, for someone getting into it, it probably take a few trips in the tree to really understand what makes you comfortable because what I do to make myself comfortable and my other buddy that saddle hunts, we do to two totally different things. So, uh -huh. but you can stand up, you can stretch. I mean, anything okay. you can do in a tree stand and you can almost recline back. Like they have all different kinds of setups you can really get into, but, mm -hmm. but to me, it's super, super comfortable. And there's, they have, I don't know, a million different ways you can get up and down the tree, yeah. um, you know, being less conspicuous or you can use a ladder. I mean, there's a million different ways. But, um, yeah, man, I really enjoy it. Stuff's kind of yeah. pricey, so I, I guess it's going to take a few more years for some of that stuff to die back down. But, um, yeah, so I, I got to my tree. I already had my climbing sticks strapped to the tree. Um, I just used the four, like, four 20-inch sticks, yeah. and that gets me gets me plenty far enough up a tree. And uh, climbed up there, sat, and almost took a nap, just waiting for the sun to come up. And I had watched, I was sitting like right on a creek bottom, a little tributary, and it opened up into this big, and it was probably a hundred acre field. And there's all different grass out there. And all those, all the deer I had on camera were funneling down those different trails to get to that field. And so the only tree that I could climb was the particular tree that I picked, obviously. And uh, that's what, that's inevitably what ended up happening is, some deer came out that morning, but I couldn't put a shot on them because they were on the other side of some brush. And I watched all these deer just meander out into this field and they were hanging out for probably a couple hours. And then all of a sudden this, yeah, she wasn't a very big pig, but this pig came running through and I was like, I, I feel like, you know, wouldn't hurt to put some pork in the cooler. So 
I went ahead and I, I smoked that uh, that sow, and she it was probably a 20 yard shot, perfect shot, and I heard her crash about 40, 50 yards away in the brush, and so my arrow ended up passing through her, and it stuck right into one of those trails. Just I could see my my lit up knock sticking up out of the ground, mm. and so I kind of sat there for a few minutes, and I'm watching these deer, and a couple of them are kind of turning around like they're coming back, you know coming back my way and I just wasn't I wasn't sure what I should do so I, I made the decision to climb out of the tree a little quicker than I wanted to and when I got to that bottom stick I just put my weight on it you know I was climbing down like you would on a ladder and uh, I had my lineman's belt on and all that and so not really not much safer uh, anything I could have done other than not go fast right and uh, when I put my weight on that bottom stick, it just kicked out. So like, there's only one strap on those sticks, which mm. is never really an issue, but the kind of tree I was on, I forget the name of it, but it had like paper bark. It didn't have, uh, it wasn't like an oak tree or anything with some su mm. substantial bark on it. And so that, it, that stick kicked out and uh, gravity brought me down a, a little bit. And when I did that, my, my left arm just got hung up on one of the steps above that one, the bottom step of the second stick, if that makes sense. And uh, I, by the time that happened, my feet were touching the ground, but my arm was like overextended. So I, I could feel, I thought I was hanging from my shirt is what I thought happened. I thought my shirt got wadded up and it, and it, I, I figured it just scratched me or something. And so by the time I just lifted my arm up as high as I could to kind of pull myself up, put my arm down and I turned around to go get the arrow and I took two steps and I kind of just looked down as I was walking and I looked at my boot and then my pants, everything was just, it looked like someone threw paint on me. And I had, you know, it, it took me a couple of seconds to realize what was going on. And I looked at my arm and uh, I had a, I'm sure you will, you've seen the pictures, but the skin, that initially tore was hanging out of the bottom of my shirt the cuff on my left arm oh. and so it basically was like someone just kind of beating you over the head like like okay this is uh this is very serious this isn't a joke you know yeah i would say that if the skin covering your bicep is now falling out of the shirt sleeve down by your wrist uh things are not good and, and who knows if you've severed an artery at this point um let's take a break we'll come back and get into how quick thinking in the wilderness probably saved your life uh, that plus the severity of your injury and what it means going forward um that segment of the show brought to you by all seasons feeders and blinds i've told you once i've told you twice but if you don't have the big chingone and you're trying to introduce your kiddos to hunting i don't know what you're doing i can fit all three kids plus the wife and uh, even Bell sat up there a couple times. That's a lot going on. But the Big Chingone is roomy, comfortable. It's got shelves. It's got cup holders. It's got windows with magnets on them, so they're super quiet. Uh, you know, you lift some of those windows up, and it makes a big old bang when it gets to the top. Deer can hear that. They're not stupid. So get yourself a Big Chingone or check out its little brother, the Little Chingone. You can find them both at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's a storm in my rear view and a city on my nerve. He's a mind. 
straight away and there's comfort in the curve. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Hey guys, Cable here, and if there's one service, one company that I rely on heavily when planning my next backcountry hunt, it's Onyx Hunt. They have, for a long time, set the gold standard when it comes to giving me the information I need to basically predict where I'm going to find animals. And if you can hone in on where the animals are going to be, you're going to be more successful. Onyx uses their own topo maps, plus, I mean, geographical features like watering holes or a meadow system that works its way down a mountainside where you know those elk are going to be feeding and muleys in the morning and evenings. Yeah, it'll show you that as well. Uh, Plus, of course, private property boundaries. Where does the National Forest end? Where does Rancher Joe's property start? Yeah, it's going to show you that as well. So whether you're planning a backcountry hunt or just picking ambush points to hang your tree stands on your whitetail property, Onyx shows it all to you. They've got different layers you can apply to a a specific grid or a piece of property. It's really rad. And here's the cool thing. You'll save 20% when you order your Onyx subscription by using my promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at onxmaps.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. If you knew the truth about me, baby, go nowhere in hell you stay. But if I held you in, would you take it to the grave? Cause the secret ain't no secret if you give it all away. Oh, Paul Codden bringing us back on CI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. As always, thank you so much for dropping by today. Uh, we're still visiting with hunter Justin Swift, who suffered a gruesome injury while bow hunting in the Whitetail Woods. Uh, we'll get back into that in just a second. This segment, however, brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot Rifle Lineup. Everything from a 22 250 on up to a Buffalo gun like a 375 Ruger. And anything in between. You want to get your kid a 243 like I got for Henry? Boom, got that. Uh, you want the Texas uh, Classic Deer Rifle 270? Yep. What about a 30-06 Granddad's Gun? Or or possibly uh, one of my favorites, the 300 Wind Mag. Maybe you've been uh, indoctrinated by the 6.5 Creedmoor Nation. I, I'm just kidding. I've got one too. They've got it all. 
And here's the cool thing. They all now come threaded. So put your suppressor on any of them. It's the Patriot. You can find them at Mossberg.com. All right. uh, Well, Justin Swift is still here. And Justin, before the break, you had talked about realizing you'd severely injured yourself. Like the skin from your bicep is now hanging out at the end of your shirt sleeve. Bad news. Blood is everywhere. What happens now, man? Because you're in pretty rough shape. So initially, I looked up the tree because I had all my tourniquet and everything else up in the tree. I, the only thing I came out of the tree with was my phone. And so I instantly just, I, I guess it was instinct, but I ripped my belt off and wrapped it around my shoulder as tight as I could and pulled it as tight as I could and held it with my mouth while I was trying to call my buddy. And so me, the guy, the guy that uh, ended up picking me up, we were probably hunting. Uh, we were, we were both as far South as we could go, but he was probably 800, 900 yards away from where I was through the, through the forest, I guess you would say. And so I, I initially called him first and I said, I said, Hey, this is serious. Come to where I'm at and just bring your tourniquet. And he didn't, he didn't even flinch. He just hung up. And so probably he must have ran he must have ran as fast as he could to get back to his four-wheeler but um i heard his four-wheeler start up like a minute or two later and so i was like okay that's good and uh i just i walked out into that field i took my saddle off you know got everything you know all the unimportant stuff off my body and i called 911 and of course when i call them like i don't have any signal out there i barely have enough signal to text each other because I have AT&T but uh or I had Verizon sorry and so I call 911 while I'm waiting for my buddy and you know I tell them what's happening and the first thing they tell me is hey we can't ping your phone we don't know we can't get your location and so of course I'm doing my absolute best to stay cool and uh not panic or pass out because I know the inevitable right if you do that, that's pretty much game over, or at least that's what I was thinking. And so finally, I, I had enough wits to pull up my maps and get the address, give them some roads. And so I ended up, they wanted me to stay on the phone with them. And I said, I can't, the, the whole process of getting back, we were, we were probably like two and a half, three miles in the back of this unit. It was a solid 25 minute four wheeler ride to get back there on a normal normal day and so buddy comes to pick me up and I guess he thought that I had a little cut you know he wasn't expecting that but it was it was a full-blown ordeal and so he just we got me he put me on the back of his four-wheeler and I was you know kind of like you're riding a horse I guess but I ended up getting the back of his jacket you know he's got this nice jacket on I got it covered in blood Mm -hmm. and so we're we're rolling out he's he's pretty much talking to me the whole time. I tell him, Hey, don't let me fall asleep. Don't let me fall asleep. So we're just, we're just talking about what happened and uh, tell him, I I told him I shot a pig. I said, make sure you, please make sure you go back and get that pig. I don't want to waste it. (laughs) And so uh, we end up, we end up meeting. It's like a, it's basically down like a big pipeline uh, getting back to the gravel road. So we're, we're just booking it on this four wheeler, trying not to fall off. And by the time we get to that gravel road, uh, we see the ambulance pulling up. And so it was probably, 
I think I called him at like 7.57 and we were getting in the ambulance at like 8.20, 8.25, something like that. Oh, wow. So it was a, it was pretty a little good, bit of a pretty ride good out. response time from them. I would say to be able to get, yeah, out that's, there, yeah. that's exactly what I was. I was expecting us to go all the way to the front gate and, and be waiting on them, but they actually, they met us there and, uh, I couldn't really describe that well what happened, right? I'm talking on the phone, my phone's covered in blood, and I was trying to just tell them I I cut my arm. Um, you know, I think I hit an artery, blah, blah, blah. And so they didn't really understand what was going on. They just knew it was an emergency. So they get there and everyone's faces like they've never seen that before. It was yeah. kind of well, nerve wracking. Yeah, it was like it was like the the step almost just like cut you and then just peeled back like filleted the skin off of your arm yeah so like every i guess everyone kind of has that bone sticking out on their elbow and i think that's what ended up doing is my elbow hit that stick that step on that stick and instead it the it bounced off the bone but it grabbed the skin and it what they what they called is they i basically degloved my bicep down to my forearm so but in the process of that i i, I nicked my artery and I severed my cephalic vein and I severed my nerve going on the bottom side of my forearm. So luckily I didn't feel anything. Um, I guess that's kind of a good thing, but uh, <laughs> a lot of blood. And, uh, but when I got to Is the that ambulance, a good, I think that's a, that's a, a good in your situation. Cause you survived. I don't know that that is a good thing in some of those scenarios because the pain is what a lot of times keeps people going. Like if you can feel the pain, like if you're yeah. numb, I mean, I've broken bones and, and stuff, certainly um, many times, um, but but I, it always hurt, you know. I never had a, a yeah. situation where I was, like, losing that much blood, which truly is yeah. a life and death situation. I don't know if not being able to feel it is good or bad. Huh? worked out for you, uh, but it's interesting how yeah. the human body works. It's probably, I guess maybe for me it was a good thing, but yeah. I've never in my life, I've never, I've never done anything catastrophic. I've never broken a bone. I've cut myself, but nothing like that. And so that's the first time anything, that's the first time I've ever gone to the hospital. Oh, wow. So I, other, you know, I went, I think I went when I was like a little kid for an asthma attack, but I've never been to the hospital for myself for anything substantial. And yeah. so, but yeah, I, I still can't feel my uh, forearm, but everything's back oh, really? to normal. But hmm. yeah, so we got to the ambulance, they loaded me in the ambulance and, uh, they immediately tell me, Hey, this is, we're going to have to life light you. This is a arterial bleed. And I was, I'm totally conscious and I'm trying to joke and, and be myself. So that way I, you know, kind of forget what's going on. And so I'm joking with them. I'm like, can't y'all just drive me? You know, uh, I don't want to pay for the helicopter, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, you're, you know, you're, you're probably going to die, but you got the tourniquet on. But so they, they insisted on the life flight. So we're sitting in the ambulance, they control the bleeding, get it, get it to stop. And so we're just waiting on the helicopter and uh, helicopter had trouble finding us because it's all just in the middle of a forest. Like they're yeah. looking for a parking lot that can hold, you know, 60 cars in the middle of the forest. So they're having trouble finding us and I can hear them on the radio talking. And so finally they find us and they're I can hear the helicopter hovering and they can't park. They can't land because all the trucks there's there's probably like. 15 or 20 trucks and they were all just scattered in the parking lot mm -hmm. and so they couldn't land the helicopter because there was too many trucks in the way 
So they and the volunteer fire department ended up like dragging people's trucks out of the way for them to land. And uh, yeah, they loaded me up and life flighted me to Tyler. And so when I got to Tyler, I guess it was a decent sized hospital, but um, I guess they hadn't seen something like that in a while. So it was yeah. like when I got there, I was met by plenty of doctors and it was like, hey, can we check it out? Can we look at it? It was like people after people coming in there just wanting to look at it and see what was going on I'm just sitting there laid up you know on the table laughing and asking people I'm like I ended up asking the doctor I said hey no one has taken any pictures for me yet do you mind uh taking some pictures to, for me and sending them to me and he started laughing the the only other interesting thing that was it wasn't funny for me and it wasn't really funny at all but um I told my buddy uh, my good buddy Dylan, when I was getting in the ambulance, I said, hey, make sure you call my girlfriend and let her know what's going on. And I told him, do not freak her out because she's she gets a little <laughs> antsy sometimes. And so he called her when I initially got into the ambulance and he said, hey, just so you know, Justin had a little accident. Um, he's in he's already in the ambulance like they're telling him that he's good. And so that's kind of, and she was like, okay, all right, well, keep me updated. And then they hung up. And then like 15 minutes later, he calls her back and he's like, hey, just so you know, Justin's going to get life lighted. And she was like, well, I thought you just said that he was, he was fine <laughs> in the ambulance. She's like, why in the world would they be life lighting him? And so he's trying to explain it to her, but she was, she freaked out pretty good, but uh, she ended up driving up. She was all the way in Lake Jackson for work. And she booked it all the way to Tyler. So she had a she had a horrible ride up there thinking because I hadn't talked to her. Well, I couldn't talk to her because they put me in surgery. But so the whole time she's driving, she's, you know, thinking the worst. But luckily I was A-OK and just getting sewed up. And then they tried to blame your injury on COVID. Is that what they did? <laughs> so what's funny <laughs> they is chalked when you I up as a COVID <laughs> statistic. You, got, you came in from the hunting accident. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it was funny when I, I told, like, I've told everybody, but when I got to the hospital, I thought they were going to, you know, give me a hard time because I haven't been vaccinated and so on and so forth. But no one ever asked me about COVID. It was mm. kind of weird. They asked me if I had my flu shot. That's weird. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, interesting. That was, was kind of weird. So but, what, what was the, like the damage, obviously you, you nerve damage, you nicked your artery, you still can't feel your forearm. Like how many stitches did you have to have? And I imagine you, like, I don't know when you. I think it was, it was like 60 or 70 stitches, mm -hmm. but the doctor was telling me he doesn't understand how I didn't suffer any muscular damage. It, it literally just grabbed that skin and peeled it off the, off the meat. Oh, wow. Luckily there was no muscle damage. Um, I could move my fingers. The only, the only thing when I came out of surgery was, um, I couldn't feel from my elbow down. Everything was just numb. Yeah. And so the first, the first couple of weeks, it was like that. And then slowly it started coming back. I could feel the fingertips, my palm. Now it's up to my wrist. So it, they told me it could come back or it, it might not, but the way it's trending, it looks like it'll probably come back. So and when did you do this? But it, October 7th. Of this year, the second weekend of bow season. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I was pretty upset. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So, you mentioned the tourniquet. Did they say that if you wouldn't have put that on, you might have bled out? Yes. So the 
everyone, like when I got to the ambulance, that's the first thing they said. They were asking me uh, who put the tourniquet on, so on and so forth. And they were saying, you need to, you need to make sure you thank them. And um, the same, it was the same thing. When I got to the life flight, they asked me the same thing. And when inevitably, when I ended up in the hospital, um, the doctor told me if it hadn't been for the tourniquet, you probably would have had a lot different ride. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So it's kind of puts things into perspective, but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and so just the, the wherewithal to use your belt. I mean, most hunters have a belt on your tourniquets in the saddle in the tree, um, with, yeah. all your, with your gear. Uh, so I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Hey, you, you've got a tourniquet on basically most people are wearing one on their hip at all times in the field. I know I certainly am. So, uh, I think there's a valuable, uh, piece of information there is like, Hey, you've always got a tourniquet across your waist. Yeah. They're like, you can get like a two pack on Amazon for 10 bucks. And, uh, it was weird because three months, three or four months before that hunt, me and my, me and my buddy Dylan, he's the one that got me into bird hunting, but we've known each other since we were 16, 17 years old. And just this year, you know, we had, we were having a conversation and just talking about our medical kits, you know, just super random conversation we had one day. And we both, we were like, oh yeah, we're order. I'm going to order some tourniquets and he's going to put some in his bag. And that's just where the conversation ended. And so mm-hmm. luckily, uh, luckily it, it worked out. And I think too, is being, being level-headed has a lot to do with it too. Um, when stuff like that happens, you just kind of, you got to set everything to the side and, and really focus on what's going on. You can't get caught up in it. It has a lot to do with it too, I believe. Yeah. yeah for you, you, you definitely described the whole situation and the fact that you've, of you being calm and keeping your head uh, paramount in, uh, you know, so, an outcome that could have been much worse. I think there's something else to say here too, because when I go on like a backcountry elk hunt, I I always have a medical kit in my pack that I have on my back, right? Yeah. In this situation that you that you've just described, you're going in a mile or two, or certainly on my deer lease, or even like outfitted hunts in other states. Like, there's definitely a medical kit in my truck, first aid kit. You know, it's not always yeah. in my pack. So I think there you know, maybe this will hopefully encourage people to think about p- putting that in your pack with you. Cause I certainly, I neglect yeah. that. I don't do it. This makes me think twice about that. And the older I get, you know, I've got three kids, the things that I did when I was younger, man, they seem dumb now. Uh, a lot of them, <laughs> like, how am I still here? But yeah, as, as we age, especially in, um, I think the, the older we get, the, the more susceptible we come to these kind of freak accidents you know i'm not as spry as yeah. i'm not an old man i'm only 40 but you know things change as we yeah age. too is like like i've is i haven't even been hunting that long but even with you know back from bird hunting i don't think i can't remember anybody that i know personally uh, that has had any kind of hunting accident or hunting related accident so i think too that hearing hearing stories from people that you know that has a lot to do with how safe you're going to be in the field and mm-hmm. like that's just something i never really thought about because it I, it never personally happened to me or anyone that i that i knew so you know you kind of believe that oh it'll never happen to me it'll never happen to me but 
uh, a tourniquet, I don't know how much they weigh, but they don't weigh much. And you can yeah. put it in your back pocket or it, it's not going to change your, uh, your pack that much. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely, definitely worth it to have it. One of my friends that I hunt with all the time once told me, and he saw me trying to do something way too fast, and this was years ago. But he's like, if you do everything at half speed, you're going to end up doing it a lot faster. And it might have been something yeah. just as simple as like trying to reload a shotgun. I don't remember what it was. It was something that stuck with me. And I think there's a lesson there too. You know, you were trying so quickly to get out of the tree to get your arrow, or sort this pig out as the deer starting to come, you know, come back towards you. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for just slowing down uh, in the yeah. field and in just in life in general. Take a deep breath and and just uh, slow things down a little bit. I think that's a solid advice for for all of us in our daily lives as well. Yeah. You can never, never go wrong with being a little too slow. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see the scar. So kind of hard to see oh, it that see well, it. but yeah. it's just, uh, it goes all the way around. Line. Yeah. Um, there's, there's probably four inches in between them. Uh-huh. Um, luckily they were telling me if, if it did come all, if it, if it did make a 360. They were going to have to do skin grafts. I wasn't happy about that. Yeah, well, thank God. You <laughs> so I'm glad. Yeah, luckily a little bit hung on. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I'm glad that you've made a full recovery, Justin. And uh, I, I appreciate you coming on to to share your story. And, um, you know, just a reminder to, to folks to be careful. Make sure you do have your first aid kit with you. Uh, solid advice there. Quick thinking, um, paramount in not having a more devastating outcome to, uh, to your accident, but glad you made a full recovery, man. And I hope that, I hope that it hasn't slowed you down too much. Hope you still are able to get out and chase some ducks or whatever it is late season. Yeah. Yep. Uh, luckily, uh, I think I'm going to end up borrowing a muzzle loader. So hopefully we can put <laughs> one down here pretty quick. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. I love it. Well, Hey, Justin, thanks again. And, uh, yep. Appreciate you, man. All right. I appreciate it too. Keep it going, man. So there he goes, Justin Swift. Hopefully we can all learn something from his experience. I know I do not keep an actual tourniquet with me, uh, but quick thinking to use your belt in a pinch. Maybe we should all keep a, a medical kit handy. There's certainly not one in my hunting pack, uh, unless it's a, an overnight trip. Just something to think about. Uh, glad he's made a full recovery, minus a, a little numbness still in that arm. That segment of the show... Brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and our friends over at Lone Star Ag Credit. Coming up next, let's talk some bobs and blues. It's uh, everything quail coming at you from Dr. Brad Dappert of the Quail Tech Alliance on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. When did the land of the free become the home of the afraid? Afraid of the world. Afraid of the truth Afraid of each other This ain't the country my grandfather fought for But I still see the hate he fought against Hey guys, Cable Smith here for Stealth Cam. You know that I've been with Stealth Cam for a long time, and there's a reason for that. The cameras are reliable, and they offer the best photo quality in the industry. Check out the Reactor or the Fusion. Those are the latest and greatest wireless cell cameras from Stealth Cam. 
sending images to the Stealth Cam app right there on your phone. It's like Christmas every day. Instant updates. Check those cameras. Get those bucks pattern. Or know when you need to be at a certain stand because the hogs are coming in, like clockwork. Whatever the case, check it out. You can find the entire lineup of Stealth Cameras cameras. <laughs> that sounds funny. You can find the ent- <laughs> you can find the entire lineup at stealthcam.com. Okay, we'll hear for Big and J Whitetail Attractants. Few things are more enjoyable than to watch the kids put out the Big and J BB squared and then start beating dad up to look at his cell phone. Why? Because they want to see what bucks are coming to eat the Big and J. You can find their entire lineup of Whitetail Attractants at BigandJ.com. Tactical Skeleton Firearms specializes in custom AR-10 firearms. They're best known for their AR-10 308 pistols. Also, dual-caliber AR-10 rifle systems and dual-caliber AR-15 takedown pistols. Tactical Skeleton specializes in custom coating engraving, and they'll custom laser cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case. They'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the AR-10 or AR-15 platform. Precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty? Who does that? Get free shipping on your order when you visit TacticalSkeleton.com today. There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwave, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season fishing supplies they've got foods like anchor tea grass-fed beef dublin sodas gourmet sauces and a whole lot more also ace hardware from wall to wall they have it all check it out the mills county general store right there in goldweight texas hey this is evan felker with the turnpike troubadours thanks for listening to the lone star outdoor show well McCovey took wing shotgun singing a pointing dog down in the old logging road And Danny got three and looked back grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload The country was cold with a sun Well, if we're talking quail, of course it has to be, to be Turnpike Troubadours, the bird hunters, bringing us back on SGI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here. Thanks to Mossberg, as always. Uh, if I was going bird hunting, I'd be taking that 940 Pro. No doubt about it. Uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Park City's Quail and Quail Coalition, which are connected, right? I mean, Park City's is a, is a chapter of Quail Coalition. Um, but, uh, yeah, they always are nice enough to sponsor our quail conversations. And if you're interested in quail conservation, there simply isn't a better organization to get plugged into. And I was talking to the executive director, our friend Jay Stein, the other day, and uh, there might be some new chapters popping up across the state. So be on the lookout for those. Um, If there's a chapter already in your area, just go over to a quail coalition dot org uh, to see if you can get plugged in to an existing chapter all right with that being said let's bring him on right now he is the head of the quail tech alliance from texas tech university it is my pleasure to welcome dr brad dabbert back to the show thanks uh really appreciate being on the show um always good to to talk to fellow sportsmen and uh talk about our research 
Absolutely. Yep, and we're going to do a lot of that today. First thing, though, and I don't know, this might be more of a question for someone from Texas Parks and Wildlife, but um, you've got your finger on the pulse of quail and, and quail hunters here in Texas. What have you heard report-wise as far as how the season's been going? Well, it's um, what I'm hearing. It's a real mixed bag, unfortunately. Um, you know, uh, we do our uh, annual uh, fall covey counts, and and we found a range of uh, of uh, quail populations out there. So, um, you know, there's some areas where some hunters are having some decent days, uh, but for the for the most part, um, a lot of areas are, are really down this year. Okay. And is that for bobs and, um, and blues as well, or do you guys really do much with blue quail? We do some with blue quail. Uh, most of our region that we're working with, so um, it's isolated coveys of, of blues. We have a few uh, of our ranches that have, you know, perennial populations of blues. Um, and uh, they seem to be doing okay, but in, in general, everything's kind of down. Okay. Just for the lay person who may not be into quail hunting or not experience the, the different um, regions that each species thrives in, um, talk about what makes, what's the difference really between bobwhite country and scaled quail country and do they overlap? Yeah. I mean, that's really a, um, a good question, honestly. Um, you know, Bobs are more a uh, a little more in wetter regions, and scale quail are a little more in drier regions. And so, generally, um, scale scale quail habitat is going to be less brushy, more open, and a little more um, uh, arid. And so, what what you see as you move across Texas west is you see um, the the further you get west to the Mexico line, the more dominant. Um, you see scale quail populations and, um, you know, I, I started here in, uh, 1996, but you hear, uh, a lot of, that's when I came to Texas, you know, you hear a lot of talk about in the eighties that there were a lot more, um, scale quail, um, further East. Hmm. And so there's a lot of, uh, um, uh, hypotheses about why there aren't as many now. Um, one of the, again, one of the things that, that we kind of see is, and on, on our ranches on the Rolling Plains, there's usually um, one or two or three uh, blue coveys that that kind of hold on, and and they just never get real big or expand much. And a lot, a lot of I think our research is going to point to um, the fact that they're just not. Um, really well situated with a, a lot of more of the brushy country that we're seeing with a lot of the mesquite and um, areas that are that are being taken over so okay well but you can go to south texas and you know be hunting big bucks and look over and there's a a covey of uh blues coming down the sendero at you and that's the thickest brush that we have in texas right right and that's that's a different subspecies down there it's a little bit uh different adapted i, I think I didn't, I didn't know that okay that's interesting yeah that's why it's so hard to use dogs down there like right right great. yeah it's a great idea but yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> right. a good way to tear up your dogs and then trying to find the birds you know or find your dog on point in that mess it's uh we've tried it and it's uh it's 
there's always mixed results. It's not, uh, seems like there's plenty of quail down there. Um, here's one that I'm going to throw out of left field, and, and I had heard this research about this California quail introduction that uh, some – I think it was another researcher was trying to get funding for, and they actually did release some California quail in Texas – I don't think that I've seen any positive results come out of that study. I'm pretty sure the quail all died. Yeah, I'm I'm really not real well informed on on that one. Uh -huh. um, you know, but uh, as I haven't heard any updates, but yeah, I haven't heard any um, positive news about that as well. Uh, seems like a waste of money, but I guess you never know until you try. Um, yeah. So, one of our listeners asked me to present the question about medicated feed and what's going on there. And it might, it might've been something, I can't remember if that was a feed that was designed for eye worms specifically, but um, can you give us any information on the latest there? Yeah. unfortunately, no, I can't. So okay. <clears throat> excuse me, that's um, a thing that's often a little confusing. There's a separate group at Texas tech uh, that is doing the medicated eye worm feed research. Okay. And, um, that group, um, as far as I understand is, um, right now trying to, um, seek funding or not funding, seek, seek, uh, um, whatever permissions or release or reg or uh, certification of their feed so that it can be used widespread. And, and again, that's my understanding. Um, we're, you know, kind of as a separate research group or, um, um, interested to, to see their data on that and, and uh, w when it'll be released. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any inf okay. really information yep. about the ultimate timing of that. Well, you, um, you probably do have information on eye worms and why they are such a bad thing for quail. The, um, uh, or maybe it's something that's blown out of proportion. Maybe the eye worms are kind of like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. Well, you know, they're definitely present in the population. Uh -huh. um, and so, again, that's something that we're we're interested to see. We haven't really been um, measuring uh, the response of quail to that. Um, and so that that other group's been doing that research. Okay. Dr. Dabbert, have we reached the point where we can take a collective sigh of relief and say that, you know, if we get timely rainfall and adequate rainfall, quail will be just fine or is it, well is it still doom and gloom of you know it, it seems like there's been so much negativity i've been doing this almost 15 years and it seems like it's always you know a lot of fear put out there and and i mean rightfully so we want these quail to survive we want them to thrive but there's been years where boom we had the rainfall and the quail bounced back like nobody saw it coming um, so I don't know where you stand as someone who's devoted your life to quail and, and research and conservation. Um, just give us your thoughts on, on that question. Sure. Sure. Yeah. My, my opinion is that, um, populations, um, are ultimately driven by rainfall out of here. And so that's our philosophy. What we've been trying to do is trying to um basically maximize what the rainfall can do for us mm -hmm. um and so ultimately you know if it doesn't rain for instance in 2011 
um, it didn't rain in this area for 150 something days. Uh, they called it a hundred year drought. And what we found, uh, we happened to be just starting our supplemental feed study then. And uh, what we found then was, is that um, the, the hens that were provided the broadcast supplemental feed into the habitat, again, you have to have the habitat first, um, those that were provided the, the broadcast supplemental feed, actually 85% of them at least tried one nest. Um, and then the hens that weren't provided any feed, only 15% of them tried a single nest. And so you can see that what a driver then that is, that's going to supersede anything that else that's going on. Um, and, you know, then what we're trying to do then is trying to use um, management tools um, to try to, to maximize the populations over time, get them as high as we can, uh, try to get the highs higher and the lows lower because we know droughts are, are in, inevitable around here, unfortunately. I mean, they've, they've uh, last I saw, they had called a La Nina event um, for this um, fall winter time. And so we're, we're potentially heading into another real dry period or already in one. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so again, you know, one of the things that we've, we've been able to do over the years is increase um, that October to April survival of uh, hens by an average of about 22% by uh, broadcasting supplemental feed. So that means you got more hens to nest in the spring. Um, and right now we've also been working on predator reduction. Um, and so we've had uh, relative success with that. Um, been able to get about 10 to 12% more nest success um, and so right now, one of the things we're, we're studying in, as well is, is chick survival. That's one of the things that we've really been seeing a lot of variability in. Um, you know, in 2018, we, we only saw about 1% chick survival, you know, wow. during those really low years. Mm. Um, this past year, uh, we had a lot of rain. We had a lot of timely vegetation growth, and we saw a lot more chick survival. It bounced back up to about 50 percent. Um, but problem was populations are already really low in a lot of areas. So there wasn't a lot of breeding capital there to, to bring that on. So we saw what we see this year is a lot of young birds in populations, but um, not a lot of big numbers. Um, so we're, that's one of the things we're doing right now is we're, we're working with some, again, trying to look at the predator reduction, uh, maybe using some uh, protein feeds instead of just our sorghum feeds uh, to try to boost reproduction um, and, you know, trying to experimentally um, do a, a treatment and then measure demographically how the quail respond, um, knowing that, that ultimately that, that drought is, is going to limit us some. And that's, that's, again, why we're looking at it more like a a financial plan, you know, where you're trying to, you know, you've got losses and gains and we're, and we're trying to really maximize the, the gains and minimize those lo those low points. Okay. Well, yeah, 1% recruitment is not sustainable by any stretch of imagination. Where is that fine line? Where you're like, if recruitment is at X, we should see an increase in population. Like, I don't know what adult mortality is and you factor in all these other things, but what, what would be the goal for that? Say we need to have 
this level of of chick recruitment survival to actually see an uptick in population trends? Um, you know, it it's just so dependent on a lot of factors. Um, we're we're still trying to model that, you know. Mm-hmm. But I would be pretty happy with around here. You know, we've seen um, if we have twenty five or thirty percent chick survival, we're actually doing pretty good. Okay. Uh, re- actually, really good. You know, because um, the, the factor is the uh, chick mortality. I mean, chick survival is really low anyway. Um, you you think about the fact that, you know, you, if you're raising quail, anybody who ever has, or even chicks, um, and you um, have those chicks, uh, you know, they're so fragile, they're in, in a hundred degree brooder uh, to keep them alive. And then, then you think about putting them out in the environment. Um, and, um, you know, it's amazing that they survive at all. And so, um, you know, because of the factors like rainfall, you know, we get a big rain event, uh, which is one of the things that we need. Um, but actually, one of the things that we're seeing is if if you have really hard rainfall during that first week after hatch, that actually reduces survival of chicks, it appears. So, um, you know, and, and the other factor is they can't thermoregulate and they can't fly for that first two weeks. And so being able to, they get their um, primary feathers oh, about day 14 long enough that they can actually fly a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you see that survival rate increase a lot after that time point. So, okay. yeah. And, and you mentioned predation, uh, obviously critters like raccoons, skunks, probably gray foxes or hell on nests. Um, I don't know which one draws your ire the most um or maybe respect is they're, they're so good at what they do killing quail eating quail eggs um, but what fur-bearing mammals are you guys really targeting because i think coyotes and bobcats probably are not the ones that are you know m- the biggest culprits yeah i mean it again it depends on the the density out there to a certain extent how how big a problem they are um, the ones that we target when we do our predator reduction, and we, are gonna, and we can't trap raptors. So, you know, yeah, no, no, we can't <laughs> yeah, we have to leave those alone. Yep, yeah, that's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we we're targeting raccoons and skunks and, um, you know, those are our, our uh, big ones we're targeting. When we're trying to to get nesting predators down, mm-hmm. um, you know, snakes are um, a pretty big source of nest and chick mortality as well. Um, you know, we, uh, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is identify those sources of mortality on chicks, um, which is really, really difficult to do. We're able to now, um, put a, a very tiny micro transmitter on chicks that are only about 12 days old. And that's allowing us to, to start to get data, um, about, um, you know, what is actually causing the mortality, um, and, from when we figured that out, then you can try to start working on ways to, to try to mitigate it if there are any. For the landowner, or let me say deer lease holder, who's like, oh, we have quail on our place. Um, and I'm asking this because of my own personal situation. I'm, all, I'm You know Jay Stein. He's the executive director of uh, PCQ and right. Coalition, and they, they always sponsor our quail segments. Um, but I've been on his property with him for 
I think four or five seasons, most of the stuff around his his land is clear cut for ag. Um, we are not, and Jay's done a great job of leaving necessary uh, cover for the quail. And I don't know how many coveys we have on roughly uh, seven hundred acres or so, but I don't think that anyone else around us has quail. I mean, there's just not you know there's there may be little pockets of you know a tree line here or some brush there, but by and large, it's all it's all ag and uh, grazing. So how much acreage do you need to manage for quail? And I'm not saying to go out and we don't shoot them. We just have them. Um, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not, don't, don't look at it from the purpose of, yeah, we want to hunt them, but just to maintain a sustainable year after year population, what do you think that minimum acreage would be? Well, uh, again, you know, you're talking to a, a professor, so you're always going to get a ifs and buts uh, mm -hmm. answer. You know, I, if you look in the literature, you know, there's some genetic studies and some long-term studies as far as um, what kind of event, you know, the hundred year drought happening or all these kind of things happening, could a population survive? You know, there's those kind of studies out there. Um, I really uh, move toward trying to give hope to those on the smaller acreages that manage uh, the populations that they can keep those going. Mm -hmm. um the big issue is you know what is a an actual huntable population and so you know it, it, even in a great year with a, a bird per acre um on 700 acres you're talking 700 birds and so you know looking at um probably with a recommendation of only heart you know only taking 30 percent of those birds you're not able to hunt a lot of birds mm -hmm. on a small area like that and, and be sustainable. Um, so I think definitely on the smaller acreages, you can have them. Um, you can do some hunting, but you're going to have to be really careful, um, you know, monitoring and managing those populations. Okay. Okay. Um, what is the ideal weather? I mean, you, you, you study quail, research quail. I'm sure that you don't. I'm sure that you partake in the hunting of quail. I don't know if you have bird dogs or not, but you can tell us if you do. But what would you say is like the best weather for the dogs when it comes to uh, finding coveys? You know, um, cool, moist uh, conditions are what's going to be really good. Um, and yeah, I do have, I've got a French Brittany uh, named Zeke. Uh, that uh, I'm not very good. I'm my own bird dog trainer for the most part. And I'm not very good. Uh, fortunately he's got, uh, good genetics and, and despite, despite me, he's able to, to find <laughs> some, find some birds and, uh -huh. and he's still learning, you know, it's not, uh, not a great year. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you're fortunate when you get those pups, when, when there's a lot of birds, cause that repetition is really what helps make a dog. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those good, uh, cool, cool, moist conditions. So, okay makes it easier for the dogs uh the the as far as the colder weather i mean it seems like they can obviously go longer uh stretch it out more put more miles on the paws right right what is the is the does the moisture positively affect their nose yeah yeah it really does it, it uh the dryness is uh doesn't allow them to scent as well and you know there's, there's an interesting hypothesis um in the literature um uh, it's actually called the wet hen hypothesis 
that uh, actually comes from some turkey research. Um, but but uh, the the issue there was that uh, they they hypothesized that that wetter turkeys um, the moisture was causing more scent to be produced, and predators were able to hone in and find the nest of the turkey easier in those conditions. Huh. And so, um, well, I mean, it makes we, sense. So wet dog smells a lot worse than a dry. Yeah, wet, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and wet birds do too, honestly. Yeah. So, um, it, it kind of makes sense. We, we tried, we did some scale quail research years ago with this. We were out in, the, um, uh, around the New Mexico line on some areas, um, doing a little scale quail research. And we tried to see if, those periods when it was wet, if we saw more nest predations and it didn't really work out in that situation. And it, it uh, there wasn't a relationship there, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting concept, you know. Mm -hmm. well, let's do this. Let's table the conversation. We'll come back, dive a little deeper into y'all's current research, among other things. That segment of the presentation brought to you by what I'm going to call NUMA's, um, Upland pant. It's the brush guard pant. Of course, it's multi-use. You can wear it for any kind of hunting, but upland hunting especially, where you're dealing with things that can poke you, stick you, um, so on and so forth, the brush guard is perfect for those situations. And you can find it along with NUMA's entire lineup of outdoor apparel right there at numaoutdoors.com. And you'll get 20% off your entire order with that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. We'll continue the quail conversation next on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's no fortune at the end of the road that has no end. There's no returning to the spoils once you spoil the thought of them. There's no falling back to sleep once you've waken from the dream. Now I'm resting. Hey, hey, everybody, Cable here for Go Wild. If you're like me, trust me, these clowns have been censoring me for a long time. But if you're like me and you can't seem to make heads nor tails of what the hell's going on on traditional social media platforms like, you know, the one that Zuckerberg owns, well, let me tell you about Go Wild. It's a place where like-minded folks are sharing ideas, hunting tips, fishing tips, recipes, all that great outdoor content that you and I both love. You can find it on Go Wild. And here's an even better thing that they're doing right now. They've got an online store. And if you sign up, that's right, it's it's a free account. That's, that's all you have to do is just go to a download Go Wild. You sign up, create your account there. You'll get a free $10 gift card to spend on Go Wild's outdoor gear store. Brands like Garmin, Vortex, Irish Setter Boots, Treason, North Mountain Gear, and many, many others. They're all right there in the Go Wild store, and you can use that $10 credit on anything you want. It's that easy. Sign up at DownloadGoWild.com. Take advantage of your $10 reward gift card, and uh, and you and you build points, too. Um, that's another thing. It's a, a rewards program, so the more you spend, the more points you get. You can find it all at DownloadGoWild.com. Gowild.com, and I'll see you over there.
Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisespecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. Hey, this is Chris Knight, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But I sit down by the highway, I hear those big cats growl. Where the quail gonna fly to? Where will the rabbits run now? I watch them tearing all the hell what used to be my church. As our very own Chris Knight Dirt bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you as always. Um, we're still visiting with Dr. Brad Dabbert of the Quail Tech Alliance. And we'll get back into uh, that conversation here in just a second. This segment brought to you by our good friends over at John X Safaris. The date is booked July 25th through August 2nd. 2022 it will be my sixth safari with john x and still got about four open spots so uh, our buddy josh is going to be hunting cape buffalo with his bow it's going to be exciting i don't even know what's on my list but if south africa is on your bucket list if that's a dream of yours that you know you're finally at a place in life where you're ready to visit the dark continent go hunting and experience the nostalgia and the lore that Capstick and Hemingway wrote about, then I'd love to have you. Shoot me an email, lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com, and and we're going to raffle off the daily rates. Once we're all in camp together, we're going to have a raffle, and one hunter is going to get their daily rate completely comped. That's $3,000 in your pocket Go hunt another animal, right? So uh, pretty cool there. But you got to get to Africa to get into the raffle. Uh, but yeah, Lone Star Outdoor Show, gmail.com. With that being said, let's pick it back up with Dr. Dabbert. Talk about the most current research that you guys are conducting it at Quail Tech and, and why it's important. Sure. Yeah. What we're trying to do is look at ways to maximize the positive demographics and um you know we did our our original uh, predator reduction and um uh uh, broadcast feeding on the big project there on the four sixes ranch and um had really good success with that and and um one of the things we're trying is do you watch yellowstone um you know i have not yet um i keep my wife and i keep saying we've got to get started on that Uh, but uh four sixes is all it's it's part of the storyline there so yeah 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 no that's that i'm I'm, i need to watch that so yeah yeah but um yeah that's where that's where that original research was done and so you know we're trying to replicate that now in um a different kind of uh, system on in uh, on the Pitchfork Ranch, we're working in a, a sand shinnery oak system, and um, we're also trying to look at um, 
you know, the density of the feed lines um, and how long the feed is persistent in the uh, environment to see how that affects survival. Trying to fine tune uh, some of those factors to see just how much feed we need to put out um, and how close um, the areas of broadcast feed need to be. Um, if there's any differences there, one, so we can make it more economical um, and two, so that we can make sure uh, we're doing the best job at, at providing supplemental feed. And so um, then we're also, again, replicating our, our, um, our predator reduction study there as well. Um, and um, then the, again, the big deal is trying to look at this chick survival. Um, as I mentioned before, we've seen a lot of variability in chick survival, um, and that is a, a key component, uh, of course, of getting that, um, that next year's population going. And so trying to figure out, um, determine sources of mortality, and then what we can do as managers um, to, to mitigate that is, is our big deal right now. Okay. And you mentioned earlier a number, I, I don't remember if it was 75% versus like 15%, but the, the, the difference in hens attempting to nest when offered supplemental feed was significant massive um what what is the what is the main thing that quail need in a supplemental feed like deer you're looking at how much crude protein can we get in there you're trying to grow big antlers you're trying to get those that pro protein necessary to grow a fawn um i don't know if if quail is more of like a high energy feed design or if it's something that's uh, based off of protein just like uh, you you try to uh, hone in for deer right well, so, and, and the example you were talking about, um, it was, that was that drought when essentially no food was available. So typically um, the, um, we're broadcasting straight grain sorghum. Okay. And so that's a high energy, not very high protein food. And what we found is, again, is that we're able to increase reproductive output with that and actually get the hens into laying condition earlier. Um, I have hypothesized that potentially protein is limiting um, and that we may be able to actually um, increase um, uh, potentially clutch size and um, the ability to re-nest and all those things if we put protein out there. So we've actually experimented some um, with a uh, high protein water resistant pellet mixed in with the with the grain sorghum um, and we've had a, a year or two where it's appeared promising and then um, we've had other years where it, it's rained a little more and it seems to be less important so um, I think we we still need to continue to study that some you know we we have it where the birds use that really well um, and we actually have looked at crop content you know, what's in there as far as our pelleted feed, um, you know, being about 20% crude protein, like a, a, a chicken layer uh, pellet would be. Um, and then the birds, of course, that, that don't have that, especially in really dry conditions um, in, in that February, March period where there's not as much native seed around, um, it's dry, you don't have those, those forbs that are growing up, those greens that you see sometimes um, I, th I think those can be potentially limiting in some years. 
uh, but we're, 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 we're looking at that as well. Um, trying, trying to anyway, that'll be probably another future project. So, mm-hmm. uh, how important are park cities, quail and quail coalition as far as funding research that is conducted at, uh, quail tech? Well, um, Park City's Quail and the Quail Coalition, you know, we get um, uh, funds from from other chapters as well, including the, the Permian Basin, the Cross Timbers, and um, but you know they're huge for us. Um, I can't uh, thank them enough for uh, the, the the hours and hours of work they do um, to um, raise money. I mean, I all, don't think all there's volunteer based, other than yeah. executive positions, yeah. Oh yeah, and I I don't think there's really um, uh, another organization like that with the success that they have and the size and everything um, like that in the country as far as a, a conservation organization. It's it's tremendous, and um, they're so uh, uh, faithful to to um, look at us and and uh, you know they 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 they're knowledgeable too. Um, they really examine the our uh, proposals each year and ask really good questions and and um so we're very very appreciative of, of what they do yeah they're two of my favorite i mean hands down uh conservation organizations and one of the reasons why and 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 i'm a uh, member of dallas ducks unlimited uh, of the committee there and help put on our our fundraising wow. events every year not all that money stays locally though a lot of it goes back to tennessee goes to nationals right um that's not how it works here with these two outlets that are their whole purpose is to let's benefit the people who are putting in the work. So it stays local. It goes to organizations like quail tech or the rolling plains, quail research ranch. Um, so on. And then there's a lot of other organizations in Texas too, that I know have gotten grants from, uh, from them. So that's why I think uh, they really stand out when it comes to conservation organizations and giving back to those who are putting, you know, putting in the blood, sweat, and tears for quail. Right. That's exactly right. You know, and, uh, we're, we're a huge beneficiary of that and, and, uh, really appreciative. Mm-hmm. Last question I have for you, and this is something I'm asking because we've got a, I've got a, a property around Mertzen that I'm looking at leasing for quail, specifically for quail and for turkeys next year. They have giant deer there. They're like, oh, don't you don't even look at the deer, you know. But if you want to hunt quail, you know, after, <laughs> after the December rut, you know, we'll you can right. hunt for for January and February, and then for spring turkey. And they have a, a big population of bobs, and they said they have some blues. So we're going out there. I think third weekend of February. I think it's the maybe the last weekend of the season. But that that begs the question: Are then and we're and we're not going out there guns blazing. We're not going out there trying to shoot a limit, you know. Two of the guys have dogs, and we're just trying to get point a few coveys and look at the property. But it does bring up the question of, or the idea, which I've heard propagated, is if you're hunting quail in February, you're shooting your hardiest birds, and that's a no-no. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but uh, I figure it's worth asking. Sure, sure. You know, um, I, that's another area we really need some detailed um, studies in this area on. Um, you know, there's both sides of the issue there. People, um, who are, are thinking that, you know, it's not as much problem, but, uh, 
my deal is just kind of a matter of probability um and you know uh, those birds that have survived that long um unless there's some major event to, to come on then you're probably more likely they're more likely to be there to nest um and so you know i i think uh being careful with those populations um is, is a good thing to do especially in a year like this mm-hmm. okay well we will certainly keep that in mind uh fortunately nobody else hunts it for quail so they don't have uh any mortal any hunter mortality going on there right right um as far as people wanting to support quail tech y'all's research where can they find you guys uh website and social media uh yeah we have um facebook and instagram quail tech and we have a website www.quailtech.org and um there's uh places on there to donate we we uh always looking for uh people interested in our research and and supporters and we have um uh, e-bulletins also that we send out for those that are more interested in in a little more uh detailed things than than you just see on social media so we we uh um, would would be happy to include people in those as well so awesome well brad i always enjoy the conversations thanks for everything you guys are doing over at quail tech uh certainly any any upland enthusiast anybody that has a, a soft spot in their heart for bob whites and and how can you not you know you're sitting out there and whether you're sitting in the deer blind or on the front porch having a cup of coffee and you hear that first uh that first bob white fire off in the morning it's uh it always brings a smile to my face and i imagine many other outdoorsmen um share that sentiment oh yeah yeah it's uh uh love the bird love the love the dogs, love the whole deal. And, uh, so, um, uh, yeah, lots of fond memories. We appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. Y'all take care. Stay safe. So there he goes, Dr. Brad Dabbert of Quail Tech Alliance. Uh, certainly appreciate him jumping on today to talk, uh, bobs and blues with us. Uh, that segment brought to you by Go Wild. We all know that, uh, 2021 was, it was a year of censorship for hunters and anglers. And that's why I'm proud to have partnered with Go Wild. It's a social media platform that combats mainstream social media censorship. It was built by hunters for hunters and anglers. Uh, it's a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Wow, imagine that. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock 10 bucks just for trying it out. It's that easy. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. I'll see you over there. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to both of our guests, Justin Swift and Dr. Gabbert. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I'm